0: Well, for all intents and purposes, the Pac-12 is done. But who are we blaming here? You are Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. If you're watching on YouTube, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights and team free for the most part. And beloved ish, kind of, sort of, Conference of Champions ish. Yeah, we're going to add an ish on that one. Like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you, wherever you listen to or watch the show, appreciate everybody out there. Today's episode brought to you by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college terms and conditions apply. So a lot of different parties have contributed to the place where we are at now, which is the pack has got four remaining schools who, as I record this show, are indeed members of the Pac-12, we are, shall we say, unclear as to what is going to take place next. But how exactly did we get here? There were there were a lot of events. There were a lot of actions. There were a lot of moves. There were a lot of individuals involved in that took place that led us to where we're at. But I was thinking about who's the most responsible here. So we're going to go through and we're going to play the blame game a little bit as I see it. Curious as to your thoughts as well. YouTube comments and Twitter at Smalls underscore 55. Always open in there. Curious what everybody thinks. We'll talk about UCLA later in the show as well because football is so... Do you realize that as this show airs, football is less than two weeks away? Do we all understand that? Does everybody get that? Okay, try not to let all this realignment and conference falling apart and everything nonsense lose allow you to lose sight of the fact that football is really, really close. So who deserves blame? This is in no particular order. I will assign percentages to these individuals once I lay out the case and kind of you know discuss what each individual or party did that led to the conference's downfall. Let's start with Larry Scott. When Larry Scott took over, he was not a guy who had a football background. He was a guy who came in and didn't have the league place as big of an emphasis on football. And that's why the Pac 12 network was such a, stickling po- a, a, a sticking point about, ah, oh, you gotta have, you know, Pac 12 Oregon, Pac 12 this, and we're gonna showcase everybody, and we're gonna do. All the other sports are great and fantastic. I'm going to answer a question about them a little bit later in the show, but there wasn't as much of an emphasis on football during the Larry Scott administration as you would have liked to have seen compared to other conferences. I did not see it was there. Part of that led to USC suddenly not being very happy. And USC is your most attractive television product because they're in the biggest market and they are the biggest brand out west. You had to keep them happy. You don't have to love that game. You don't have to love the reality of it, but that is the reality of the situation. You have to keep your biggest brands as happy as you possibly can, or they are in today's world going to look to try and go elsewhere. So those were missteps. The Pac-12 network was a disaster because not only did the revenue fall short of what the expectations were, but the exposure component, because it wasn't on direct TV, so not everybody could even get it, was a huge problem for the conference. It's things like that that lead to not as many people watching Christian McCaffrey play football, which means he doesn't win the Heisman Trophy. So, Larry Scott deserves a good amount of blame. Now, USC and Fox, I kind of put them together because they feel like they have been in lockstep throughout this entire process. Not entirely, they have made individual actions separate from one another, but both of them financially stood to benefit from the Pac-12 breaking apart as it has done, because Fox is picking up all these schools anyway. Because they're part of the Big 12 or they're part of the Big 10. And they're paying for all of these schools, but they don't have to pay for the ones that they don't want. They're just getting the most valuable assets that they can find. They don't have to pay extra money for Oregon State and Washington State. They might not place as high a priority on Stanford and Cal, so they don't have to. So they stood to benefit. USC stood to benefit financially from all this stuff. Because they're going to the Big Ten, and they're getting a bigger cut of the deal. And no matter what the Pac-12 did, even if they had handled things correctly, they weren't going to get to where the Big Ten is at. They're just not at that sort of level. So that was kind of how Fox worked their way into it, and USC as well. And remember, USC shut down expansion talks in 2021. And everyone, for a change, wanting to actually make USC happy there, kind of followed along. That's what all the reporting has indicated. And then USC went and stabbed the Pac-12 in the back the following year. So they were a factor. George Klyovkov, he's an individual that contributed to this. Now, when they had the opportunity, he wasn't able to get USC on board with expansion. When the Big 12 was vulnerable, they didn't go shopping there. And in fact, it ended up kind of being the other way around. And when the Big 12 came to them a year ago, this was another report that made me go, boy, George, that is not a great look for you there, pal. When the Big Twelve came to them after USC and UCLA left and said, Hey, do you want to merge? He said no. And then after the media situation was was playing out, he went back to the Big Twelve, according to a report. And then the Big Twelve said, eh, no, we're good. We're, we're like, we're, we're fine. Yeah, that's not great. Wasn't able to secure a good enough media deal. Wasn't able to get a deal, right? We know what happened with the whole Apple deal. No guarantee of linear, no guarantee of certain financial benchmarks. They could have based on everything we know about the deal, gone past the Big 12 and the ACC financially, but they weren't able to guarantee that. And he deserves criticism and blame for that. Now, the people who are actually the most responsible for all this, what has been... My everydayers out there, first of all, thank you so much for being that, whether you listen to or watch the show every day. Second of all, what is the number one mantra that I have repeated ad nauseum on this show over and over and over and over again? Presidents drive realignment. Mm-hmm. It's presidents that vote on realignment. If the president of the university says no, you're not going. Doesn't matter how badly your football coach wants to be there. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how much your athletic director would like the extra revenue going from this league to that one. If the president's not on board, then it's not going to happen. And the Pac-12 presidents do deserve the most blame out of anybody because it was the Pac-12 presidents. Over the years that hired Larry Scott. It was the PAC-12 presidents that kept Larry Scott in power. Meanwhile, everyone was standing around going, "Hey, why do we not have a lot of things that these, these other conferences seem to have?" Why, why does it seem there was a debacle a couple of years ago in 2021. And this is just one of little things that one of, the, one of those little things that's indicative of larger problems, of course where Pac-12 games that were airing late at night on ESPN looked like they were being filmed on an iPhone. It's like, wait a minute, that would never happen anywhere else. Why does that happen here? Larry Scott was running the league and was not moving it in the direction that everybody wanted it to be going. Everybody recognized that and said, boy, the chickens are going to come home to roost one day. Well, here they are. Cluck, cluck, cluck. Chickens are here. So that whole ordeal is a reminder that the Pac-12 presidents are the boss of the commissioner. Like the commissioner has a good deal of authority and guides a lot of the conference's trajectory. But the presidents at the end of the day are running the show and they hire the commissioner and they hired Larry Scott. And then there's the most damning part. There's the most (laughs) damning part of of all of this. When you look at how did the Pac-12 get into this situation? How did the Pac-12 get to a place where they have five top 20 programs in the preseason coaches poll, and they aren't going to have any of those schools in the league next year unless Oregon state is able to to be a part of a conference rebuild there. How did we get there? How, how on earth could that be? It's a wild fact. It's still a wild fact to say you got five of the top 20 teams. And then the league is just going to dissolve after the season. How on earth, how on earth did that happen? There's the most telling part and it ties back to the precedence. You can tie into LinkedIn jobs because these days every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Go in there, create a free job post in minutes. Super easy. Add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. And they use simple tools like screening questions, make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and Hire small businesses. Rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash college. That's LinkedIn.com slash college to post your job for free terms and conditions to apply. I'm almost certain that if during the Larry Scott administration there had been a few more or perhaps any second segment sips, we wouldn't be dealing with any of this nonsense. Goodness gracious. So they just forgot what you know made the engine go. And second segment sips are the gasoline for this particular show. They didn't put enough gasoline in the tank. More second segment sips could have saved the day. But this is the most, I, I, I think this is part where if you're a Pac-12 fan and you're thinking, well, how do we get here? Like who, who should I feel is responsible for this? This is where the Pac-12 presidents goofed up in a big, big way. So there had been some reports about this at the time, really just one from, from Andrew Marchand, but now it is circulated around and we know for certain, for sure. I'm not casting dispersions at Andrew Marshan, but there, there's a difference when one person is saying something versus when everybody kind of starts saying something. And it is confirmed what he reported, credit to him for, for having had it back uh, way back when. But ESPN, in the fall of 2022, I want you to think back to that time. That was a time in which the Pac-12 was facing an existential crisis because you had Oregon and Washington calling the Big Ten, and you had the Big 12 trying to come to get Pac-12 schools. USC and UCLA leaving. That was still a fresh wound. You're trying to react to that. The question I asked on the first show I taped after the news broke was, can the Pac-12 survive? In the fall of 2022, last fall, ESPN made an offer to the Pac-12 for all of their media rights. It would have included linear components and everything else would have been on ESPN Plus, which by the way, is a super, super easy way to access content and to get it out there. And with ESPN set to go direct to consumer within the next couple of years anyway, that's a place where if you're there, eh, that's kind of where a lot of content is going. For secondary sports, primary sports, wherever. So ESPN wanted everything. It would have paid the 10 remaining schools $30 million per year. $30 million with a linear component. And the Pac-12 presidents, that deal was presented to them. George Kleofcroft said, hey, this is available, and the Pac-12 presidents told him, no, we can get a better one. The moral of the story of Icarus is to not fly too close to the sun, to not allow hubris to be your downfall, to not think of yourself as being invincible. To think of yourself in the way in which you are not in which you would like to be. And the Pac-12 presidents took a gamble, flew too close to the sun, and overestimated their own media rights value. Without USC and UCLA, the second largest television market in the country, and your biggest brand in USC, they had a deal that they could have taken. And I think that George Klyavkov... Probably would have wanted them to take. And boy, in hindsight, (laughs) yeah, you would have taken that. Because the league would have, you know, stayed together the way everybody wanted it to. And instead, they hit the market. The Big 12 leapt in front of them. The money kind of dried up. ESPN went through some tough financial times. Had to lay a bunch of people off. Didn't want to pay for everybody. Because the Pac-12 had countered with an offer of, hey, we want $50 million per school. We, we want, you want to pay us 30, we want 50. That's what they were looking at. And look, the only angle of defense I will give the presidents there is when you examine the valuation of the big 12's media markets and where they have a significant presence. Now they have a long standing population without you know Texas being there necessarily in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Granted, right? You have TCU. Baylor, right? Like a lot of schools in Texas. So they're dominating that market for sure. But if you look at where everybody else is located and the schools that they are bringing in, four G5s, and then you look at the media markets that the Pac-12 had access to, I understand how you could think, hey, we should be able to get a deal that's past the big 12. But thinking that it would be 66% more, that it would be within... Ten to twenty million dollars of the SEC and the Big Ten and their media deals and the distributions they're making per school. Yeah, that's just a lack of reading the terrain. It's it's a lack of understanding of something I've talked about. So when you know back when we were uh, still thinking the conference would survive, you know when when the when we were looking at expansion candidates here on the show. Remember, I'd I'd get dressed up in a suit and Spencer C. McLaughlin, Esquire, who might need to just find a reason to return one day because that was kind of fun. But I have to have my suits for that. And right now I don't. When that was going on and I was evaluating potential candidates, I looked at two components to understand what their media value might be to a particular league now and in the future. It is not just your market, but it is also your brand. And it is also the product that you can put on television. I almost knocked my cup over and spilled it onto a computer, which let me tell you would have been disastrous, but we averted disaster here. So it's not just about market size, right? The back, the the big 12 has got a big stranglehold on Dallas for sure. Pac-12, you've got Seattle. That's a top 30 market. You have Salt Lake City. That's a top 30 market. You have Portland, which is a top 30 market. Again, lower tier for sure. But you have Phoenix, and you had the Bay Area still, and you had Denver. Those are all top 20 markets. Pretty sure a couple of them are in the top 10. So when you look at where they were located, you say, well, we should be able to you know, surpass what's happening in the middle of the country. There's only one big city over there and it's Dallas. But what they underestimated is the value of a school and the brand that it is and the viewership that you can draw. And they clearly had an outsized perception of what they were and what they could be. So I'll wrap this up to say that that is the biggest blunder on the Pac-12's part is that they had an offer that would have kept the league together for at least five to six more years, whatever the grant of rights would have been. Because if they'd taken that, none of this happens. Colorado doesn't even leave. Because remember, they left because they got tired of waiting. Oregon and Washington left because the deal that eventually got presented wasn't a guarantee that they were going to be competitive financially with other conferences. That one would have been a guarantee. And they took a chance. They went to market. Pac-12 presidents didn't want it. They wanted to roll the dice. And guess what? They stepped on a rake and it whacked them in the forehead. So as I assign my blame here, that went on a little bit longer than I was planning, but you know, a lot to discuss when you're talking about, you know, the downfall of the league. Percentage of blame to those five parties. Again, I pair USC and Fox together because they appear to have, you know, at least at some level been in communication, talk behind the scenes. They both kind of operating in the shadows, but they're pretty powerful puppet masters there. I go 51% on the presidents because I need it to be over, over half, over half. The blame's got to go on the presidents for looking at that deal, which would have kept the league together and saying, nope, we're worth more and just getting that flat out wrong 51 percent on presidents i go 20 percent on larry scott who set everything up to be in this disastrous situation like yeah george klyovkov deserves some blame i'll get to him in just a moment and he'll get a number here but it's not as high as some of you might attribute with him because i don't think there's anything george klyovkov could have done to keep usc and ucla around larry scott could have Larry, Larry Scott could have perhaps, oh, I don't know, offered unequal revenue sharing. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I'm a semi-historian of sorts. Larry Scott was the one who came in and said, ah, we're not doing unequal revenue sharing. We're going to do equal revenue sharing across the board. And eventually that kind of war on the team, most principally, that was bringing in the most money. And that's USC. So I put USC and Fox at 15%. Behind Larry Scott, because of all their work on shutting down realignment and, and everything, and Fox wanting to just, you know, kind of pluck the most uh, valuable brands that they could get, not pay for everybody. George Klyovkov at 12%. And then the Big Ten. The Big Ten did deliver the final blow here, because it appeared based on statements that have been made, but also reporting that has been coming in from a variety of reporters who have worked tirelessly on the story for a long, long time. It appeared the Pac-12 was ready to take a chance on Apple to sign the grant of rights. And then the Big Ten called Oregon and Washington because the deal had been presented. It was not worth as much of guaranteed money compared to the other leagues. And so then they became insanely cheap commodities. Oregon and Washington and the Big Ten that didn't want to expand. I think they were legitimate when they said that. They came back and said, yeah, this is too good of an opportunity to pass up. So we're going to go with it. We're going to make the offer, Oregon to Washington, chose stability, and that triggered everything else. So, Big Ten, I just put it 2%, because they did make a move, and they did deliver the final blow, but it's too good of an opportunity to pass up. You can't, can't hold that. You can't hold that against them here. Okay. A lot to get to today. Going to be jam-packed here on this show. Uh, quick question that came in from Jay. Again, mailbag always open. YouTube comments or hit me up on Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore Pac-12. I am back from vacation recording shows uh, every night the day or every for every day the day before, you know, back to normal and such. Uh, hey, Spencer, might be a good question to address on the pod. But what is stopping universities from branching football off as their own conference affiliations? not talking about a separate league outside of the NCAA, but rather, for example, why doesn't Washington football play in the Big Ten and all other sports stay in the pack? Is it Title IX that's stopping this from happening? Finances, thank you. So logistics and the, the notion of being in two different conferences is my understanding of what's holding that up, but let me tell you, this measure would be widely supported by, I think, everybody. I'm unclear as to who loses, if the non-revenue sports or the Olympic sports as they're referred to play in the traditional pack and don't have to deal with the excess travel if they don't want to there have been a lot of players i know there were a lot of softball players across the pack 12 who said this is not what i signed up for this is not what i want i don't want to do this i want my family to be able to come to games really easily and that's not going to happen as often if our road games are so far away so i i you can count me as fully supportive of that move I think it's tricky to try to orchestrate things with two different conferences. I think that's part of the holdup there. But since we've learned that this is all about money at the end of the day, it would actually save money on travel significantly if everybody but football and men's basketball played in the old Pac-12. I would be in full support of that. Now, can it work because the conference, like the, the money would get complicated because you'd have money that comes in from one conference that goes back to a school, right? Like a media rights distribution, for instance, and is the Big Ten cool with you know giving a media rights check? I don't know why they wouldn't be, but I but I don't know if they would be necessarily, I haven't asked the commissioner or anything like that. If they'd be cool giving a check to a conference and then that check goes to fund teams that are in another league, essentially. Like you would have Big Ten money money that gets generated from the Big Ten going to help schools playing in the pack. Now, there are schools that are a member of an individual conference for one or two sports, but not for other sports. But that would be a logistical hurdle that I I would think of here. Okay, let's talk some football to wrap up today's show. Talk about UCLA. So, UCLA's big question for 2023. I want to start with that and then we're going game by game to look at how I think the Bruins will do this year. I am not particularly high on UCLA. I'm not. Not because I don't think Chip Kelly's a good coach. I think he is. I just look at the pack and I say, that's a really good conference. That's a really, really good conference. And I'm going to be consistent with this standard as I talk about all these teams leading up to the year across the board. You will not find me wavering from this position. When you are in a quarterback-rich league like the Pac-12, if you cannot give me quarterback clarity, certainty, and potential or expected production, almost knocked it over again, might need to move that later, I am going to have a tendency to fade you. That is a consistent standard across the board. Arizona State, I was looking at their schedule the other day, and I was like, four, maybe five wins? Texting my guy, Richie Bradshaw, about it, locked on Sun Devils, and he reminded me, oh, by the way, Drew Pine got hurt at the scrimmage yesterday. Don't love it. Didn't love Drew Pine to begin with. Starting a young kid in Jaden Rashad who's not ready, that's a fade. Stanford. I don't know who's starting. That's a fade. UCLA is a fade. Now, it's fade relative to everybody else in the league, right? I'm going to predict UCLA to have the same record, this might upset some Bruins fans, as the Arizona Wildcats. I know. Crazy. But what is my reasoning found? what? What, what is my foundational reasoning in that? That I know what I'm getting at quarterback, assuming health, over at Arizona. I don't know what I'm getting. Some recent intel has indicated, hey, Ethan Garbers, who's been a backup for the last year or two and has, you know, done solidly when he when he's played on the field, might be the starter. Ethan Garbers is fine. He's not blowing me away. He's not Dorian Thompson Robinson. So I like their portal class. I like their skill position pieces. But you have to be able to keep up with the quarterback position in this league because I don't trust a Chip Kelly-led team to put a defense on the field, because they never have, that's going to keep another quarterback majorly in check. So you have to win shootouts, right? That's a Chip Kelly MO, it's a Lincoln Riley MO, it's the Kalen DeBoer MO, like that's what those guys institute in their football teams. And as we've seen, it works quite well. But if you're telling me Ethan Garbers is the starter, which we don't know for sure, that gives me pause. But the fact that I don't know right now as fall camp is underway, again gives me pause. So I'm not crazy about the Bruins for that reason. I think they could be a much better and improved team in 2024, but for 2023, I don't love quarterback questions. I I really, really don't. So the big question for UCLA, and again, all this stuff is contingent upon health and injuries, right? Because if Cam Rising, what's Utah's big question this year? Does Cam Rising stay healthy? That's a big question. If Cam Rising stays healthy, I love the Utes. But even if I have full health at the quarterback position for UCLA, at best, they have the sixth best, quarterback, sixth best quarterback in the league. And at worst, they would have like the ninth or tenth. So not wild about that. Now they open with Coastal Carolina at San Diego State. And then they host North Carolina Central. This was supposed to be the year Michigan came to the Rose Bowl. Michigan bailed on them. They'll end up playing at some point in time as members of the Big Ten. So we'll get that matchup anyway. But they, should have, they still should have played. Michigan's a bunch of cowards. Anyway, so they'll start 3-0. I, I I think San Diego State can be a bounce-back team in the Mountain West. I'll take the Bruins. They could be on upset alert, depending on how they look against Coastal Carolina. But I think it's a 3-0 start. Then they go at Utah. I'm not picking anybody to win at Rice-Eccles this year. So that's a loss. Now they come back home. They play Washington State. Now this is an interesting game. Because I like the Cougars. <laughs> I, I do. And I want to pick the Cougars in that game. But I think that's an instance of... The transfers UCLA has brought in and the fact that they're at home will be just enough to sneak by a pretty good Washington State team. I think Washington State will be a pretty good team this year. I expect them to be over 500 yet again, as they have been in each of the first two or first season and a half, or I, I should say, of Jake Dickert being the head coach. Like that is what they have been. But I think UCLA will win that game. I think they go at Oregon State the next week. I think they lose at Reeser. Again, if you're going to win at Reeser Stadium, you got to be some butt kicker supreme. You you, got to be a really, really good football team. And I don't think UCLA is good enough to go into Reeser and beat Oregon State, where just one team has won in the last two years. So I'll take the Bruins to lose that. Then they go at Stanford. Yeah, I think Stanford's the worst team in the pack. UCLA is not. That's a W. Then... This is where things start to get a little bit dicey. If you are fading a team, as I am, relative to their preseason win total, I think the Bruins under 8.5, I've long said. Every day there's no here on the show. I've long said I think UCLA under 8.5 is a good solid bet. If you're going to fade a team, I think it's pretty reasonable they lose a game or two, and I'm going to pick two for UCLA, that they shouldn't, at least on paper. And I think one of the big wins of the year in the Pac-12, and really for the Big 12, too, is going to be Colorado going to the Rose Bowl and beating UCLA. Everybody might call me crazy. That's okay. I can live with it. I'll still sleep really, really well tonight, having made this prediction. But every single year, every single year in the Pac, and in every conference, frankly, but especially in the pac we have teams win that we have teams win games that they shouldn't. We just do. We have it all the time. And I don't see why this year is going to be any different. My first big upset that I picked was Arizona beating Utah. I'm sticking to that until I see evidence to the contrary. But at the outset here, Colorado still has a long ways to go, but they brought in a lot and I can see a stumble there. So I'm taking the Buffs beat ucla then i think ucla bounces back i think they sweep the arizona schools they go at arizona a game they could definitely lose but i think after what happened last year they might have a little bit you know for the returners and chip kelly they might have a little bit of upset on their mind i think that's a classic instance where the road team wins in back-to-back years you see it more often than you would perhaps think and i think we're going to have it right there i think they come back home against arizona state and pick up another win and then i think they lose their last two games of the year they go at usc and then they host cal and every day is no i'm unusually high in the california golden bears we're gonna see this year if i am right or if i'm hilariously wrong but i've got cal going six and six i've got ucla going seven and five that might be a touch low for ucla i could see them being eight and four I don't think they go over eight and four i think their ceiling this year, their absolute maximum ceiling is nine and three i think they're a six to eight win team and i'm gonna land right in the middle there at seven and it just comes back to the quarterback situation the league is too darn good at quarterback for you to be middle of the road just okay not have a big playmaker just be solid and all this sort of stuff not gonna do it so ucla I think they're a pullback team this year. Again, we have those every year in the pack. And I think UCLA is a pullback team this year. I think seven and five, make a bowl game and build for the future a little bit with Dante Moore, eh, maybe getting some snaps in there if things don't go great at the quarterback position. Though, Chip Kelly, his credit, has developed a lot of quarterbacks, both Dorian Thompson Robinson, a guy who's as talented as anybody in that quarterback room, except for maybe Dante Moore, it took some time and it's going to take time again. Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.